Hello and welcome to Super Saturday is a comic book media podcast, where each episode will be focusing on your favorite comic books, TV shows, and movies to figure out if these projects will stand the test of time. I'm Damon A, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Dallas Taylor from the Comics Collective. All right, on with the show. Thank you so much for just hopping on the show, Dallas. Like, it's honestly a pleasure and honor to have you on the show because I'm a really big fan of Comics Collective. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, It's a lot of fun working on the Comics Collective. And thanks for suggesting a great book. I'm really excited to talk about Death of the Family today. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, In all honesty, it was was interesting getting, getting to sit down and look back into it, but... Before we talk too much about Death of the Family, are you ready for some news roundup? I am. All right, so I've got two pieces of news for you, and I kind of just want to hear your hear your opinions on this. Um, you're pretty active on Twitter, so I'm assuming you've already seen some of this new stuff. Uh, so Echo teaser trailer dropped. I liked the teaser. Did you like the teaser? I'm going to be honest, I am so out of it with the Marvel TV shows in general. Like, I have gotten to exactly where my parents were circa 2014, when I'm like, guys, there's this talking raccoon and tree. We got to go see him. Like, that's where I'm at now with all Marvel TV shows. I'm like, so great for those who for those who practice. Yes, happy, happy whatever's going on over there. And I... I hate that I'm a little bit of a hater that way, but I saw a lot of positive reactions. I'm excited for the Echo fans. I heard they're messing with her powers a little, which I got very burned by Miss Marvel's powers getting messed with. So to the Echo fans, I'm sorry. I hope everything else is what you want. Vincent D'Onofrio is awesome as Kingpin, so that's great he's coming back. I don't know. How, what about you? Like, what are you thinking? Um, you know, I like the teaser a lot. And honestly, I'm kind of in the same boat as you because I'm honestly getting a little burnt out from just the MCU stuff. Uh, not from the comics per se, but like just the MCU of it all, I guess, especially like all the just the content here, there, all that type of stuff. And then it just seems like the more like, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I don't know. But like I'm just having a lot more appreciation for comic book creators and people who work within the industry and something about the fact, and I already had that appreciation, but just it, I'm 24, I'm getting out here in the real world. So just like seeing a person's life's work and then having it be adapted and having someone kind of like shit on it or either companies not treating them properly, it kind of just, you know, it's, it's a little discouraging. Um, And I think that's what's kind of burning me with the MCU a little bit, especially when uh, with Echo's powers and even when you were talking about Ms. Marvel's powers and everything. Uh, so basically the director slash executive producer, Sydney Freeland, she was talking about Echo's powers and she said something on the lines of her power in the comic books is that she can copy anything, any movement or whatever. And it's kind of lame. Uh, not the best word choice. And then number two, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the biggest Echo fan, so I can't just act like, Oh, you know, I'm a huge Echo fan, but just something about just, uh, throwing away the powers and just not really caring i don't know 
it it exudes something. It just it just rubs me the wrong way, I guess. Yeah, I think I understand that there are different expectations for comics as a print medium and comic book movies as a visual medium. And but I just don't fully understand why that power set would not be interesting in a kinetic visual medium like film or television i feel like you have an opportunity to do some really interesting and great choreography between all the different actors on set and echo in a way that can be really striking so i mean i i'm not the one making this show so i don't fully understand i don't know what their vision for the character is but i think going back to something you said right there at the beginning for me a lot of my disinterest in the mcu and just superhero live action adaptations in general has become just the constant fire hose of content. Like, and I I don't love that word content, but that is how it feels. It feels like here is your next six weeks of superhero TM product to watch. Mm -hmm. And it's not about saying anything. There's nobody behind this who is deeply passionate about the material and trying to express their human experience. We are trying to put the most algorithmically correct amount of material in front of you so that you will keep watching and keep subscribing to our our system, you know? And it's just not interesting. Like, I love superheroes and superhero comic books because they are an expression of elevated human emotion. I will read All-Star Superman every year for the rest of my life because I want to be like All-Star Superman. I did not feel that same way when I watched the finale to WandaVision, which is like, I, that genuinely, like that was the one that broke me. When they were zapping each other, I was like, that was the end, the end. Never mind, because I felt cheated. And I'm sorry you got me on this whole soapbox right away. But like the first two thirds of that show, I was like, wow, this is exploring some really interesting human emotions. Like, how do we deal with grief? What does it mean to be human? Like, these are things I look for in other television shows, other movies I watch. This is great. And then the last act was like, the red goo and the purple goo shoot at each other across the city. (laughs) It's like, I do not care about this at all. Which was a sad thing to realize, but it has freed me up to care about a lot more interesting movies and television, (laughs) which has been good for me. Yeah, I, you hit the nail right on the head with that. Like, I still like WandaVision a lot, but you're absolutely right. Like, it's just, it was this close, so close. And it kind of just did the same thing that a lot of MCU movies and sometimes even just comic book media, like movie-wise, can do, is where it, at the end of the day, you guys want to make money. You guys are making this, I hate to say it, I blame Mickey Mouse a little bit, but you know what? Hey, hey, I don't want the mouse lawyers to get at me. I'm not a friend of Michael Mouse. <laughs> Michael and I... Not Michael. <laughs> Michael Mouse and I are not friends. Not the uh, government. His but... friends call him Mickey. I, <laughs> Michael Mouse and I. No way. Woo. My, Michael. Not the government. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I hope um, 
goof goofabald um gooferson doesn't go after you listen as long as it's not donald and i donald and i are friends but no michael mouse for me oh my gosh but yeah no i you know i think it's just i think something that a lot of like comic book movies are just lacking is just i kind of want to say fun but like i don't think that's the best word to use with that i mean by that i mean Go in there wanting to tell a story that's really captivating. I think the last comic book movie that really got me in my feels in that regard is uh, The Batman. Because uh, actually, we rewatched re- re- it recently. And a couple of things I didn't notice. Movie whips. Yeah. Like, a couple of things I didn't notice. I had not, this is my third time watching it. I didn't notice that Batman having that realization in the end where he's like, you know, I can do more for Gotham. And... It came up like like there's just little bits between the movie where you can like literally see moments where the the fucking wheels are turning. Like for example, the big scene that stood out to me is when he was at Selena's apartment and the camera holds on him looking at her bills about her being foreclosed. At first, I didn't know why it held on there that long, but that was a part of it. Or even when he found out that the Iceberg Lounge had a secret club inside, when he reacted to that, he was kind of like, oh, so these people have to do that to make money within the city? And I had no idea about that. Just the little things. I was like, wow. Is this movie like making a commentary on capitalism? Wow. Okay. (laughs) Wait a minute. Did they put a woke in my Batman movie? Oh my gosh. In a good way. In the best way. In the best way. Listen, very rarely a bad way. <laughs> it, listen, <laughs> listen, a little louder for the people in the back. Listen, that's usually a good thing. If you're complaining about that, I'm sorry. Maybe don't listen to my podcast. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. You know, you, you are a great guest. Come back anytime. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we've been on this whole tangent enough. Long story short, echo information. Not that happy about it myself. And, you know, let's segue into some good news, though. Invincible had its season premiere. Did you watch that episode? Not yet, but I'm going to. Listen, everything I just said about how I'm over superhero media, ignore it. I love the Invincible adaptation. Because it does everything I complained that the Marvel movies do not. This is an adaptation from Robert Kirkman and other creatives who want to retell this story using the strengths of a new medium. And now with 20 years retrospect to update and improve on Mm -hmm. that source material, making it a more diverse and inclusive cast, polishing up storylines to make them more clear and saying new things with this already incredible material for our moment right now that we're not necessarily pertinent or on Robert Kirkman's mind in 2004. Like this does everything I want from an adaptation. I do not care for a one-to-one adaptation. I also do not care for a name-only adaptation. I want you to love the source material and ask yourself, how can I do something new, interesting, and loving with this for this exact moment? And that's everything that Invincible is. I think it also is capturing very intelligently this... I, it sounds stupid to say booming. It's already boomed. But the anime market of 
direct adaptations of comic book material into an animated format is enormous. And it's nice to see one Western comic book person. And of course it's Robert Kirkman, the comic book tycoon who knows how to sell things. That's like, wait a minute. If I make an animated thing of my comic, will it therefore boost comic sales and also make the people who already have the comics happy? What? And it's just, it's great. It's everything I want to see out of Western comic books and Western television. Yes. Yes. A million times yes. And you know something? I fuck Jeff Bezos. But, but, Invincible being on Amazon was a good idea, especially because reprinting of the comics, having sales on the comics along with the show being out, smart, smart business move. Smart as hell. And you know something? I really do applaud the fact that Robert Kirkman is heavily involved with that. Now, I haven't read the Invincible comics. I've actually read only maybe a couple of different issues from there. And I I know I'm soups. You guys probably hate me for it. But who knows? More content coming soon. I'm probably going to sit down and read it all. But anyways, uh, from what I've seen, I loved it. And honestly, I agree with you that I don't think I need, I don't need a one-to-one adaption of something. I don't. And I feel like the best way to adapt to anything whether it be comic books or even like just books or just anything for that matter. Take everything that works. Take everything that you, that works. Take everything that people love and then maybe improve on the things or maybe take twists on things that weren't that good or even mm, don't just change just for, just to just to change stuff. But if it's something that like, oh, this is going to be more interesting if I do X, Y, and Z or maybe something that wasn't really stretched out when it should have been in the original adaption. And I think that's the best way to go about it. And you know something, I didn't even think about how Invincible, the way they're going about that is actually kind of similar to how they do anime. That's actually a really good like thing you just said. Like you're absolutely right about that. Like, wow. Thank you. I think one of my favorite examples of the adaptation of Invincible being interesting and in some places better than the comic is in the reveal of Omni-Man's true nature. That takes almost 10 issues to mm. happen in the series and making it happen in the first episode and then sitting like a bomb over the characters demonstrates Robert Kirkman's growth as a storyteller. That is the classic Stanley Kubrick. If we walk into a room and our characters are sitting at a diner table and you then show me 10 minutes into a scene that there is a bomb under the table and that bomb explodes, you get me excited for three seconds. But if they walk into that diner and you show me the bomb under the table in the very first frame and then let them talk for five minutes, I am enraptured for five minutes. And that exact lesson is applied to Invincible with this adaptation. And I think it is enormously better than the pacing in the comic. And I had no complaints about the comic before I saw it this new way. Mm. And it just, it's fantastic. And also... Listen, I know you haven't covered it here on this show, but Mr. Plugs over here, I have covered Invincible over on my show. So the Comics Collective, right here in this podcast app, go check it out. We covered Invincible. Brought to you in part by Comics Collective. We are doing The Death of the Family by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo, and Jacques as well in a couple of different inserts, everything. Um, so before we really get into like the meat and potatoes of this entire story and everything, 
what was your first exposure to the Joker? Like, what is something that really sticks out to you in your memory? See, since you sent me this, I've been thinking about it. And I really don't know that I can point to a singular moment. The Joker and Batman, to me, are a little bit like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Like, there was a first moment, but they happened so early that they've just been ubiquitous my whole life. Like, I just have known who they are and what their deal is. It was probably the animated series or Tim Burton's movie, if I had to guess. But my first real, like, I care about the Joker, I have opinions about this beyond just accepting what's going on, would have to be Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. Mm. Like, I was old enough at that point to have opinions, and the opinions of an 11-year-old boy watching The Dark Knight was, that was the coolest shit I've ever seen. He made that pencil disappear. Like, I, I that movie put some hair on my 11-year-old chest, and my mom's like, I just don't know. It seems so dark. <laughs> I was like, Mom, you don't understand. And I swooped my little bangs over, like Peter Parker. Because that's about how tough I was, was Spider-Man 3 Peter Parker. I was like, you don't get it, Mom. Heath Ledger, he's, he's a genius for what he did in that movie. And ever since then, like, I wouldn't say the Joker is a deeply important character to me, but I've always liked him. And I really like when he is a scary and menacing force in Batman's life. And that's absolutely what Snyder and Capullo tapped into for this comic book, which we'll get into. How about you? What was your introduction to the Joker? You know... I kind of think I'm in the same boat with, as you, where it's like Batman and Joker. You, it, 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 you, you can't mention one without the other. And I want to say that, like, the memory that keeps sticking out to me is like when I was a kid, I had like some hand-me-down toys from a cousin of mine, and he had Batman the animated series Joker as one of his figures, and I played with that shit all the fucking time along with the Batman. And I'd say maybe '89, and maybe Batman the animated series. Um, was my first impression, like first time, like you know, really knowing who the Joker is. But like the first time where I actually paid attention to stories and I could remember connecting dots to shit was The Dark Knight. Like, uh, because I was like nine or ten when I saw that. I don't fucking know. And I went to see it with my grandma. Uh, now, okay, you mentioned the pencil scene. My theater laughed at the pencil scene. I remember that vividly, and I was like, "Why was that funny? Like, why, why, why the fuck was that funny?" <laughs> like I don't know if you all knew this. He's dead. That was a murder. <laughs> We're laughing about murder, and you stand up on your chair. You're like I'm here to lecture you, and they all threw popcorn at you, and you kept watching the movie. Literally, I had an icy. Had to dug out the way for it. So you know, uh, they just painted the entire screen. But uh, you know, you know, I, I, that was that was my first time like really connecting the dots on that. On top of that, I was like a weird kid. Actually, take that back. There's no weird on this show. I was the kid who watched like special features a lot on DVDs. Like I would ask for DVDs as a kid all the fucking time. Like like that was on my Christmas list. It was DVDs and toys. So I watched the special features on every single thing. And I even watched documentaries, but comic book documentaries. And I remember vividly when I got Dark Knight on DVD, I watched like all these different documentaries that are on it. And it was one that was talking about Batman's villains and then also Batman's gadgets and the real world and everything. But, like, the fact that, like, the Joker was, like, in-depth talking about him, all that type of stuff, it was so interesting to me. The fact that we don't really know the Joker's name. I always thought we did because, you know, 89 when I was a kid. 
So learning more and more through that and then starting to read comics as I got like like a little bit older, like around 10 is when I started reading comics and everything, uh, like more. I think that was like the biggest memory I have with the Joker. And reading this book, it, it kind of did everything that you'd want out of a Joker story. Like all, it was literally the Joker's greatest hits. And, you know, this was my first deep dive into the new 52. I've read bits and pieces of it, but like I got the Scott Snyder omnibus for Christmas uh, this past year. So me just sitting down and reading this and in the evening reading through this, it was interesting. And it made me realize, you know, I want to get more into the new 52 since we're on the topic of the new 52. Dallas, did you enjoy the new 52? What a complex question. Um, somewhat. I like the new 52 was what was happening for me when I was getting into comic books around 2013. Um, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman is an all timer run. Like, let's just get that out of the way. That is an all timer. That is the high watermark for the new 52 but beyond that there are certain stories i enjoyed but ultimately the overall tone of the dc's whole docket under dan didio during the new 52 was not really my cup of tea i much prefer what's going on right now and i just I don't know. So I have complicated feelings. Like I look back fondly on this era and reading this Batman today in preparation for this did bring a sense of nostalgia, but it also made me raise some eyebrows when I saw like Superman's high collar on that guy that the Joker is doing. I'm not usually one for suit discourse, but I was like, gosh, that is just such an objectively stupid suit. Like, I'm sorry, Jim Lee, but that is a stupid suit with that collar on there. <laughs> listen you know i never liked that suit and i you know i am one i am one of the people who actually liked a couple of decisions with the new 52 in regards to like just designs i liked wonder woman's design i did mm -hmm. i liked the flashes and i liked the, you know the one thing people always talk about oh the extra lines and like the little like you know stencils or whatever i liked it on wonder woman like the little star stencils was cool and the flash with like the lightning bolt stent that was cool as hell to me it was uh but turtleneck wasn't necessary it would have been better if it wasn't a turtleneck there it it would have been better it would have been better okay listen, listen uncircumcised superman suit is not the look okay it's not the look it's <laughs> <laughs> getting in the way when he's fighting uh, it's not the look you know what no wonder lois lane didn't get with him in New 52 exactly exactly he had to go to a girl from ancient greece <laughs> i'm so sorry it's okay it's okay i'm having fun i'm having fun here on super saturdays but <laughs> no you know new 52 had a couple of different things where it just had like a little like question mark for me um turtleneck superman or you know uncircumcised superman was one of them uh and then you know lois lane kind of being an afterthought because we stand lois lane in this house like Lois Lane is that chick. She is that girl. Listen, I'm just gonna throw it out there. 
women in general, both on the page and behind the scenes, being an afterthought for this whole era. Like, mm-hmm. none of them had anything to do for five years. Points. Points. You ready right. to dive in? I am. I am ready to dive in. All right, let's dive in. All right. Batman Death of the Family is a 2012 comic book story that involves the return of Batman's arch enemy, the Joker, and his plans to destroy all of the people Batman has come to rely on over the years. The multiple Robins, Batgirl, Catwoman, Alfred, and Commissioner Gordon. This book is known for debuting the Joker's new look. His face gets ripped off. And I think the best way to describe this story, and I'm going to use a different voice to describe it to you, Soups. Basically, the Joker, he basically comes back after a year not being there, right? And so he's like, you know, Batman, you're getting fat, you're getting lazy. You, you, you listen listen you're getting old i was gone for a year and you couldn't even stop some damn birds he comes in with like his donald trump insults he's like you've gotten fat you're useless these stupid birds these stupid birds they've destroyed your city not my batman my batman would have defeated them and batman's like <gasps> Like, literally, like, the Joker came in, and, like, he had notes, and he was just like, you know what, Batman, I'm just, listen, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to do you a favor, because I love you. I love you. I'm. You see those kids? The the kids you got, they're making you slow. You know what? I'm going to do you a favor. Let me me just collect them. Stank-ass kids. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, just I, I was at work earlier today and I brought the big ass omnibus to work just to make sure I finished reading. And, you know, one of my coworkers was asking about the story and I told her about it. And that's literally where I described it. She was like, that's really fucked. And I'm like, exactly. That's the best way to describe this. And, you know, my initial thoughts when reading this project, this really was like a love story almost. It was, uh, you know, like we said a couple, like a little bit ago, this kind of checked out all of the boxes of everything you'd want to see in a Joker story. And I loved it. And like, it was great to read it. And this isn't my first time reading it, but like, I don't fully remember uh, the story like that. I read it years ago when I was in high school and reading it again, I was like, oh, I forgot this shit happened. What were your initial thoughts like rereading this? Rereading this, I so little bit of background here. I over the years, I've become a pretty close friend with Scott Snyder, and so talking with him about this run, and then going back and reading it again, I think I saw a lot more of the craft this time through. Like when I first read it in high school, I did not have any concept of panel pacing, of internal dialogue versus external communication with these characters. But this time, I could see so much of what Scott has told me he wanted his approach to be with his super science Batman, who is talking about the chemical formula of the acid that made the Joker. He's talking about eye dilation that shows off different emotions. And Scott's told me that's a really important part of his approach to superhero comic books is like a grounded sci-fi 
where he's like, I want it 99% to be real and then 1% not. And I don't want you to know what that 1% not is. Mm-hmm. And I could see that all over this comic book in a way that I didn't before. With his whole run in my retrospect versus when I first read this as it was coming out, I could see how this was setting up the Joker sort of trilogy that the middle part of Scott's run became with death of the family and then zero year and into Endgame, where we got to see like prime Joker Joker's origin and then Batman's death at the hands of Joker, like this beautiful little triplet. You could see it reading this book as Batman and Joker have their sort of Reichenbach falls moment where Sherlock lets Moriarty fall I was like, damn, I know what happens because of this. So I'm reacting to it differently now than I did when I first read this. And my emotion was just slack-jawed. So it was it was really fun to... What I love about rereading things is that the story doesn't change, but you and your ability to analyze it and appreciate it does. So 17-year-old me and... 26 year old me had a much different approach to this exact same story and therefore i feel like i left with a lot of different things that i did the first time through yeah i agree with you on that um well two things actually going back to what you're saying about how uh scott snyder's approach to writing this and just writing the uh, writing in general i didn't even i didn't know that but after hearing you say that and talk about it a little bit it just made me think about how that that really shows up a lot throughout this entire story even down to the fact that i know scott snyder he has kids and one of the things that was really interesting and very present to me in the story is that batman kind of acts like a parent towards the bat family and i mean that that's a given but it's more like in the regards of when the bat family are telling are basically telling him they're like hey yo you really should be letting us in on this and are you sure he doesn't know who we are? And he's like, it can't possibly be. It can't possibly. No, 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 no. And they're literally questioning him on that. The way he's responding is kind of similar to like how a parent would to their children at first when they don't want to listen, you know? And um, a lot of just the little nuances throughout the entire story, I was just loving all the little details that was there, even down to how the Joker views Batman. And like i don't know i just got a lot of things i gotta say about that like for example i already wrote in my notes that i was gonna make a joke about the joker is being gay listen the joker's very gay in this story love it when he says hello darling i was like the subtext has become the text precisely and i think he even has like a sexual innuendo and then he kept calling batman king uh or your majesty like it talks about his pupils like opening yeah. up with love i was like this is not subtext they made this they put this in a dc comic under dan didio dan scared of gays and women didio put this out on the shelves mm-hmm. incredible i think they tried censoring this in reprintings really yeah i know that if i'm not mistaken uh if i'm not i could be wrong but i gotta double check that but Editor Damon, go back and add a little note or some shit. I don't know. It was. Snyder may have chosen this. Or it could have been editorial. But, uh, yeah, no, if I'm not mistaken, they actually tried edit- editing 
some of the darlings and some of the words that were in there to make it seem less gay, quote unquote. Uh, but I'll double check that. I'll double check that. And, you know, the another thing I put down since we're on the topic of it, it made me think of Lego Batman. That <laughs> Yes. Yes. The best Batman movie. Well, second best to the 1966 movie. Obviously. But, but second best. <laughs> Like, it, it reminded me that in the way that, like, the Joker is just outwardly gay for Batman. And you know what? I was eating it up. I was eating it up at every single part. And it was just so sadistic and creepy, like, throughout the entire thing. I don't know. I just, this entire thing was just, it, it was really just got down to business right from this moment the book started. And... I was honestly curious. Do omens just happen every time the Joker just pops up in Gotham? Just imagine if that if that's how it goes. I was a little bit like, I don't know if they're really going to be that mad about you. Like, I don't know that you should have put that together. <laughs> that, that whole opening monologue, like, we should have known when the river ran backwards that he was coming back. I was like, should you have? Or should you have been like, oh, damn, Aquaman's on his way. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that the Joker has that... Does he control the flow of water? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't know. I mean, Batman was having to tell himself he's just a man. What if the plot twist was the Joker has powers? That, you know, honestly, on some real shit, I could see the Joker having powers for years and not saying anything, being so petty that he doesn't even use them. He's like, you know what? I don't have to use my powers because... It's just you and me, Batman. Like, like, like that type of shit. Like, I could see him doing that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not wrong. And you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I got a lot of things I gotta say, and we've honestly touched on how good this stuff story fucking is. One of the questions I really have for you is, where would you say this ranks for your Joker stories, or rather, Batman stories? I. This is so interesting because before this reread, I think I would have placed it pretty high in my Scott Snyder Batman ranking. Like even just within this run, I remembered this one so fondly. But after rereading it, I'm like, all right, Zero Year is still my peak. That's my favorite story that Scott and Greg told. I think I like Court of Owls better than this. Really? I I do. Just be, like it feels so fresh. I think Death of the Family is the perfect new 52 story because it is very approachable. Like, you can pick this volume up without having read any other Batman and just knowing who the character is, and you'll be fine. Like, you don't even need to read the rest of Snyder's run before this to get what's going on here. So, great jumping on point, which is a goal of the new 52. Also very referential to early Batman continuity without it feeling like a hindrance. Like this does play like a greatest Joker hits and those illusions are explained to you so you can be a part of enjoying them. And then it also has this dark and gritty tone that is honestly very akin to something like the killing joke. Like my big takeaway reading this this time is, wow, there's a lot of the killing joke in the DNA of this storyline, which I don't think I took away the first time. And I know the killing joke certainly has its warts. And Alan Moore himself has said that he wishes he had not told this story the way he did. 
but its influence on Batman and the Joker in particular and their portrayal is immeasurable. Like that book just changed our perception of these characters and the craft on display, particularly from Brian Boland, but is stunning. So I think this for me is probably the first Joker story I would hand somebody who Mm -hmm. wants to read a Joker story, but I don't, not that I have like a particularly robust list of Joker stories that I adore, but I like I don't think this is on the same craft level as the Killing Joke. Really? Okay. I I don't. I mean, that's it's Alan Moore and Brian Boland. Like qualms about the story aside, like that book is put together like a Swiss watch. True. <laughs> Everything those guys do is tight, and I think that the same themes are being explored of Joker's infatuation with Batman and Batman's eventual snapping at Joker because of this, Mm -hmm. which I mean, if we're going to get into homoerotic subtext, like the Batman, like finally snapping and being like, no, I don't like you that way. is like very, very (laughs) interesting. Like I, like it's kind of a joke, kind of not, but like, (laughs) The Batman character can hold up under all of this homoerotic subtext. Like, I love when Grant Morrison's like, Batman's absolutely gay. Like, <laughs> homosexuality is baked into Batman. Like, all the best Batman stories, a little bit gay. That's, that's a Grant Morrison, uh, my version of a Grant Morrison quote. But Grant Morrison did express those sentiments. <laughs> but, like, in both The Killing Joke and in Death of the Family, Batman's like, listen, that's a step too far. I am straight. I am a straight man. Sometimes I'm straight. (laughs) Well, we all know Batman's never had sex. Obviously. No one ever. That's what DC says. (laughs) No one ever taught him. That was the central issue. Uh, Do you think Alfred is going to walk him through that? Absolutely not. the entire issue at the center of tom king's phenomenal run is there comes a point where catwoman's like i'm gonna need something he's like what do you mean and she's like we have to do it you mean it like fighting crime she's like no no we're we're gonna have to have some special alone time fighting crime yes yes we'll do that alone together oh my gosh oh my god you know there's a couple of different instances where batman literally uh like is not fucking getting what's getting put down. I'm thinking about the ending of fucking Hush, where <laughs> I laugh every fucking time because it's like Catwoman's like, you know, I'm so glad that we went through this. I'm so glad that you know I, I learned her identity, and you know I got into a really like life or death fight with Talia, and she kind of whooped my ass. But you know it's okay. We're together. And Batman's like, but how do I know Hush didn't put you up to it? <laughs> Catwoman has like the best reaction. Like the way the panels are like, she's just looking at him like, you know what, Bruce, bye. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go. Me and the Gotham City Sirens, they they know how to eat box over there. I'm sorry, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> Bruce won't get his hands dirty, Wayne. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because obviously he doesn't eat. He doesn't eat. He does not eat, obviously. Apparently to the Harley. Damien was a test tube baby. Oh my goodness gracious. 
Oh my god. But you know something, since we're on the topic of Batman and his illustrious lifestyle, uh, but you know, one of the things that I've noticed within the New 52 is uh, with me reading Gotham, no, no, with me reading Court of Owls and then moving on to Death of the Family and then also the little minis in between the stories. Uh, and especially this book, I have it in my notes. How old is fucking Batman in the New 52? Because I'm like, okay, okay, two things. Number one, I know that when it came to Batman and Green Lantern, their continuity did not fucking change because they're the money makers apparently actually no not money makers jeff johns liked them that's why um then number two the reason why i was asking this question and wrote this down is because batman is drawn to look like he's in his 20s and in the previous like little um one-shot issues that were filling in some of the continuity for the new 52 at least within the omnibus it had an issue where it showed all of the robins and batgirl before they became the Robins and Batgirl. And it kind of insinuates that they're all close within the same age. And so Dick Grayson became Robin a little older. And then Jason Todd became Robin. So you mean to tell me Batman really went through Robins that fast? Damn. Listen, listen. The five-year timeline that they set up for the New 52 means he was throwing those little boys into a meat grinder like the pace that he was going through robin's like it was like normandy in gotham city as he was flying through those little boys like i don't think that he knew jason todd's name like the amount of time necessary to spend with jason todd before being killed and turned into red hood he had him for a long weekend yes Yes, it it had to be a weekend at that point. It, you know, in all honesty, my question is, if it's only been a five five years, how the fuck did Jason Todd die then come back within that short window of time? All I'm saying is we got to call child services on Bruce Wayne. CPS will be called. That's the only way. Because, I mean, one Labor Day weekend with a strange child he picked up off the side of the street and that kid's dead? Like it's dead? Oh my gosh. Oh he gosh. He's dead with a crowbar over Labor Day weekend? <laughs> I know he's a billionaire, but that's kind of twisted. Incredibly. You know, speaking of crowbar, I got to say, uh, let's. Okay, what was the fan for Mel Movie Viewers? Because one of my favorite moments in this book was something that was very a blink and you missed it type of thing where Batman backhanded the Joker with a crowbar. Gold. I love when Batman hit Joker and the face went crooked. Yeah. Then Joker had to like yank the, there's a little panel of him like yanking the face back. And I was like, Greg Capullo, you're real for that. Greg Capullo's art was really fantastic though. This entire thing. It was um just the attention, the detail within the writing, but also within the art that I really fucking loved, especially when you would see more and more flies around the Joker's mm-hmm. face. And then over time, you would also see the Joker's like face decompose more and more throughout the entire story, like just Chef's kiss, Chef's fucking kiss. But you know, as we've gotten through this, talking about tangents and also talking about this entire book, I gotta say, do you have any closing thoughts? 
I just think that this book is an excellent example of what two creative forces who are working together can do. Because I think that what Scott brings to this book and what Greg brings to this book are equal and equally important. Like There's so much storytelling that is visual only. There is so much storytelling that is text only. And the marriage of the two makes this a brilliant comic book. I think that this comic book storyline will stand up to the test of time. I think it has stood up to the test of time thus far. And I think 10 more years from now, 20 more years from now, 30 years from now, people will be talking about Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run on Batman with the same reverence that we talk about Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' run on that same title. Like, I just, this is such a vital comic book, and it's absolutely the correct first Batman comic for anybody. Like if you have any family or friends who want to get into Batman, I would say give them Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's new 52 run. Okay. That's that's it. Like my personal favorite, Grant Morrison's run. Absolutely. I am not handing that to somebody for their first (laughs) comic book. I'm not going to be like, hey, want to get into comic books? Yeah. So here's Batman. He's going to get thrown back in time. And he's going to go through issue by issue through every major genre of comic books leading up to the invention of the superhero. You see, it's a big... I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm handing them, look at this crazy serial killer Batman Joker story where Joker is freaky as hell. These guys like horror. Batman does great against horror. Check it out. All right. So how would you rate it out on a scale of five? I'm giving this a 4.25 out of five. Oh, 0.25. Why is that? Because it's a little better than a 4, but I don't know that it's going to a 4.5 or a 5 for me. Like I, It's great, but I it doesn't have that je ne sais quoi that makes it stick in my head and get a 5. Okay, okay. I would say for me, I would give it a 5. I would definitely give it a 5, like primarily it. because it was a fun ride. Like, I... I really loved the balance of horror throughout this entire book. Like this book, it was unsettling, especially there's a scene in the book where fucking the Joker makes a tapestry displaying all of the moments between him and Batman, but it's not a re- it, it, it's a fucking flesh tapestry with and I thought they were dead until it said, "Oh yeah, no, I they're alive." What? Let's see. Listen. Get you a man who tries. Exactly. Do you see how do you see how he prepped? The house for Batman to come over. He really when did. When was the last time? When was the last time your partner made you a flesh tapestry, or made a bunch of people dance for days before you came over? You know what? It never. It's a little bit of effort. A lot of it's effort. A little bit of effort. You know, I think the Joker was in his housewife era in this book, and you know what? He <laughs> Real said, "Housewives of Gotham." One hundred percent. He said, "I need to get the house ready for my man to come home." And you know what? He said, "My That's man, okay. my man." Thank you for my man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's death of the family, folks. Also, also, I mean, he's trying to get rid of the kids from other parents as well. <laughs> he's trying to be like, I'm not getting stepkids. Woo! You think, I, you think I'm picking up four ragamuffins and a little quirky redhead? Uh, she's James Gordon's kid. Get her out of here immediately. Wait you know, a second. These four little dudes? Annie? Wait a second. Get Batman is basically Annie. <laughs> what do you really think about it? Orphans, a redhead, a rich guy. 
It all works out. We're on to you, Mr. DC Comics. We're (laughs) on to you. It all works out. But you know what? I got to say, five out of five for me, this will stand the test of time, primarily because of the art, the story, and it really just checks all the boxes. And like you were saying, this is a book that I could easily just give to somebody who, I like Batman. I'm going to read something, you know, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I'd give them this. I'd give them this, maybe Batman Universe and something else too. But like, this would be, you know, a book that I'd give them. And you heard it here, folks. You got our rates. So the real question is, Soups, what do you guys think? We want to know. We want to know. Be sure to let us know on our Instagram at Super Saturdays Podcast, TikTok at Super Saturdays Pod, and Twitter at Super Saturday PC. Your messages and reviews can make their way on the show. This was Super Saturdays. I'm Damon. And I'm Dallas. And you can follow me over at the comics collective on tiktok or at cmx collective on twitter all right well you know what it is see you next saturday soups <laughs>